Hi guys, welcome to the latest event from the Downtown Den and today we're talking all things transport. Three great guests for you. We've got John Irving, who's the Chief Executive of Liverpool John Lennon Airport, Andy Heath, the Managing Director of Mersey Rail, and Matt Davis um, from Stagecoach. And uh, listen guys, it's great to see you all today. Thanks for joining us. Um, hope the lockdown is treating you well. Um, John, I'm going to kick off with you, if I may, because clearly the aviation industry has been much in the news. Uh, we are, of course, aware that the industry is in some difficulties and has challenges at the moment far and above uh, many other industry sectors, I, I guess. Uh, and given the fact that we're still in an uncertain time as to when things can get back to normal, uh, I was just wondering how life is, not just at Liverpool, John Lennon, but also with your colleagues and your peers across the country in the, the aviation sector. Yeah, no, thanks, Frank. Uh, good, good to speak to you all as well. I think you know, you're right, the aviation industry is, is, is suffering like I'm sure many, many uh, industries are, are around the region. But certainly for us, looking at the impact from, from day one and the, the quick turn to pretty much zero passengers and therefore zero revenue was quite stark um you know we we were operating pretty well to be honest in the in the first the first few weeks of march even and then all of a sudden as, as those planes from jet two turned around in the air to go into spain not from liverpool but from other airports that's when it that's when it became a, a, a real a real challenge and pretty quickly EasyJet and ryanair grounded pretty much every every aircraft i think in terms of you know what we've what we've been working on and and what we've done is probably not too dissimilar to to every other airport in the uk small and large is really about reducing the cash burn of, of the business and making sure that you know we are set up enough to to be able to come out of this at, at the other end in a, in a positive fashion obviously as an industry we have really good links into the government um, you know, we don't struggle on that basis. You know, we've had weekly calls with the aviation minister, with DFT, and and you know, letters from the chancellor, etc., outlining opportunities for us to, to look at. What I would say though is, as an industry, we went from probably a, a thought process where the aviation industry would be looked after or you know treated in a, in a slightly different way to one where, you know, in, in some ways that people in other industries would probably say this was right everything that we, is on offer to us from the government is, is what's on offer to, to any other industry in terms of the furlough scheme, the financing packages, some of which don't really work for us as an industry. Um, so we, we've we've tried to take advantage of some of those stuff. So furlough, obviously, I'm sure many of the people on, on the video and, and my colleagues to the, to the side of me have done the same. You know, we, we've done that to protect the long-term security of people's jobs at the airport you know in this period of time where although we're you know very limited in terms of operation we've still got people working on site you know we've still actually got flights every day going to the Isle of Man for the for the medical flights which is important um, but obviously means we have to have a layer of, of operation going on a daily basis so we're only I think 60% furloughed whereas other airports who are closed for business you know are upwards of you know 70 to 80 percent furloughed um so it it depends what you're doing we you know we are open for for cargo and freight to come in if if it's there and needs to come in uh, which we've had a few inquiries about but 
you know, that's pretty much where we're at in terms of you know, running running today on a, on a on a very limited operation um, and starting to think about you know what does it look like, what are airlines trying to do, you know, when's it going to come back? And I think one of the important things before I come back to you, Frank, is you know we're talking now to airlines about recovery um, and when it comes, but certainly what what you see and read in the press is you know air travel is going to have a very long lag to it compared to opening up the country or getting out of lockdown it's not going to happen overnight i think that's probably something that everybody will be considered to be a common sense approach john i don't think anybody's expecting to come out day one after the lockdown and be jumping onto to an airplane um but i think you made an important point there in terms of Early indications from the government seem to suggest that aviation would be treated slightly differently. Uh, and for reasons you've just outlined, really, do you get the sense that people like Richard Branson haven't helped? Um, you know, because I think the, you know, the, the, the image, if you like, of, of that airport aviation sector is very glamorous and you know all airlines therefore are owned by billionaires and why should they be bailed out john you and i know that those airlines that run out of liverpool are not in that same sort of uh, same sort of stratosphere are they definitely not i think you know our our hope from it was pretty much from day one working with you know the dft and you know our people who talk in the government every day was you know, the, the aviation industry in a normal economy is important, but certainly in an economy like ours and one sort of heading towards Brexit is absolutely vital to protect airports and airlines. And certainly the initial feedback was, you know, obviously it's a critical bit of the economy. You know, we want, you know, solid quality airlines and airports to survive throughout this. And there will be something coming that will be, you know, something different to everybody else. I don't know whether or not the impact of you know people like Richard Branson or, or what has happened or it's an affordability point or, or potentially trying to find something that works for different you know size airports different well we've got a different need to an airport up the road we've got a different need to Newcastle we're all suffering from the same problem but our asks are slightly different I would say we do have some commonality in some asks which you know things like rates and you know holidays around rates and extended furlough periods i think what what we're seeing is we're asking for that and we're all asking for it whether or not we're you know liverpool manchester heathrow we're all asking for the same stuff and we're getting the same answer of exhaust every other opportunity before you come and ask for a specific asking you know that probably happening in other industries and it becomes a point of you know i had a call this morning with a government department and the question was, have you exhausted the opportunities? And I'm like, well, who's telling me when I've exhausted them? Because I feel I'm exhausted. Uh, <laughs> so so it's, it's one of those, we've got a good line in, but that, that critical infrastructure piece, you know, and I'm sure there's other industries who would say that as well. You know, the visit economy for, for us in, in the city region is massive. And mm. some, things are, some things need different help. But certainly ours is go and look at what's available and, and, and work with that and if, if you get to the end of that and it's still a problem come and ask us and, yeah. and like any business cash and the pressure on the business comes pretty quick and moving on to the other guys on the call Andy and yeah. uh, Matt you obviously are in a slightly different situation to John because you're still operating um, albeit no doubt at a lesser capacity 
uh, but that brings challenges as well. And Andy, come to you if I may. Um, you know, Mersey Rail, listen, we were talking about some great things that have been happening with the company, you know, some fantastic stories in terms of its efficiency, in terms of new investment, new trains on track, um, you know, improvements to the infrastructure. It was all going swimmingly well. And uh, forgive the pun, it's come off the rails a little. Um, <laughs> but you've, uh, you've been working hard to make sure that during this period of time, those people who do have to move around still, essential workers and others, uh, are able to do so. So what's that been like for you? Well, as, as with, with both my other colleagues, I know that Matt will say the same, it's been a real challenge. So the challenge that we had, a bit, a bit like um, John really, start of March, we were, we were performing well. But then from the third week in March, obviously as the impact um, worsened on the, on the country, our patronage dropped, so our revenue is down 90%, you know, sig significantly. Added to that, of course, the, uh, the exposure of our, of our staff, because of course we, we need to operate a, a rail service. We recognise that it's an important artery to ensure that the, the city region can operate. So the first challenge we had was obviously in terms of our staff. So our sickness levels increased to about 20% from the normal 5%. So that meant we couldn't deliver the service that people normally expect. But, but also there wasn't the, the demand demand then because it had fall, fallen off. So we went into dialogue with Mersey Travel to look at what we could do to make sure we can deliver a, an optimal train service, bearing in mind the demand. So what we did, first of all, was we ensured that the service we operated roughly seven o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock in the evening was to be able to provide a service for key workers. We had some feedback from, from the, the NHS particularly about the, the service curtailed at seven o'clock meant that a lot of the shifts that finished about eight o'clock, uh, people couldn't get home. So we sort of tweaked that on some key line of routes to about 10 o'clock in the evening. And what that allowed us to do is of course, enable people to get to and from work, the essential workers, but it meant that we could sort of reduce the exposure of our staff. So we did a lot as I'm sure Matt would agree, um, and did the same things to ensure that we could provide the, the right environment in which our, our staff to, to operate. So that's been a real challenge. Um, we're pleased and proud to be able to make sure that we, we can deliver that service as well as getting the balance right in terms of managing our staff's uh, exposure. And in broad terms, people work two weeks, then they're off two weeks to allow their colleagues to come back in, so it's on, on a rotor basis. Um, the challenges we've now got is in terms of the expected ease in lockdown, how that comes. Um, but in terms of how we're doing as, as a business, at the moment you hear a lot in the uh, in the press now about EMA, so it's management contracts that uh, train operators are moving on to that have been managed through the Department of Transport. But Merseyrail is slightly different because Merseyrail obviously is devolved to Mersey Travel. So we don't have a financial package. Um, we are having a significant impact on revenue, as I said. So, but we're no, no immediate threat to us. So we can focus on providing a essential service to the key workers. Um, and we're in discussion with Mersey Travel with the government at the moment to see what financial support um, is available to us. We haven't took the, uh, the option of furloughing staff and that's not our intention at the present stage because um, we do know that we need to uh, have staff available to run the service. Now we're working on potentially kind of looking ahead to um, what our service will look, look like as we come out of lockdown. But that's a, a balance between the staff that we have available, but also the advice from government and the instructions that will, will come with, with that ease in lockdown. I think going back to the point you made at the start, yeah, I mean, we had a clear, a clear trajectory towards new fleet and new fleet implementation. There's an impact there. 
because the, the trains are being built in Switzerland and they have problems with the, with the supply chain. So there will be an impact on delivery of new fleets onto the network. We don't know, we don't know what that will be at this stage. I think, it's, I think certainly within Merzler, I'm sure a lot of business is the same. The first sort of four weeks or so has been sort of hankering down and just sort of making sure you can, you can provide what, what is required. But now we're starting to put one eye, at least one eye, half an eye, to how we actually move out of this. But it's had a significant impact on the business, it most certainly has. And you've mentioned this, Andy, but I'll pick the point up with Matt. Um, you know, first and foremost, I know safety is at the forefront of both Stagecoach and Mersey Rail's minds when it comes to uh, passengers, but also the team that you work with and your staff. And I know some of the statistics, Matt, coming out of London in terms of bus drivers who were impacted by COVID uh, were quite frightening, really. And Sadiq Khan has, has made particular reference and statements um, about that particular industry. And of course, Sadiq's dad was, was a bus driver, so it will be close to his heart, I guess. Um, but, but how have Stagecoach uh, been managing through this process? You're absolutely right. The um, safety of our staff, Frank, is key. And it probably goes a little bit further than safety. So um, it's about assurance, I think, as well. Um, we're following Public Health England guidance. And as we'll all know from what we see in the news, many people at times are questioning the guidance. Now, we do follow the guidance and it's right. So um, we, we, we're sticking with that, but there are certain little things we can do to give a bit more assurance. A good example is we're providing our staff with gloves. Um, Public Health England advice doesn't require gloves, but the fact is our employees feel a little bit more assured. So that, that's one of the things we've been doing. Um, we're doing quite a lot of things actually uh, to keep our staff assured and our customers, because customers need to have confidence traveling with us. So um, vehicles having enhanced cleaning regimes, all the touch points are cleaned um, several times a day. That's things like bell pushes, handrails, anywhere basically you, you touch with your hands. The driver's cabs getting a heavy duty clean every day and a wipe down. We've covered over the screens that the drivers have, the holes, the little holes um, have been vinyled over um, to give the drivers a little bit more um, comfort. And then we've applied social distancing on the vehicles as well. So we have certain seats that are taped off. Prominent um, warning um, advisory notices asking people uh, to space themselves out. And the other thing that we've done as well, um, we've reduced cash handling. Um, there is no, um, no public health England advice that cash is not safe to, to be handled. And it's recommended that if you are handling it, you wash your hands and use hand gels. We've supplied, it out, supplied our staff with hand gels. Um, but what we've done is we now ask customers to pay um, the exact fare um, and, and pay by contactless if possible. Our contactless um, uh, transactions has gone up by over 10% um, almost immediately. Uh, and any excess change, um, if, we, if we collect any excess change, it's going to the government's uh, NHS COVID-19 charity. So quite a lot of measures we're taking. There's other things we've done. That's just what you'll see if you get on a bus. Um, in the depot, we've opened up mess rooms um, so we've opened up um, meeting rooms to, to become an extra mess room. Mess room is the word we, we like to use for staff room. Um, we've encouraged people to take their breaks in other locations as well. Um, we've had to change our catering arrangements. We're not, no longer able to uh, provide canteens, so we are providing free tea and coffee. It's just a nice little uh, gesture. Another thing that we've done is um, when we transfer drivers into the city centre, they would normally go in a vehicle together. Uh, in a minibus, we've had to split them up and they travel separately. So there's many, many things we've done 
And what we're now looking at is how we apply these things as we come out of lockdown, because I think we all agree it's very clear that social distancing is going to be here to stay for some time. So um, these new arrangements need to be factored in permanently into the business. Yeah, some, some uh, commonality, I guess, across all sectors in terms of the points that you're making there, Matt. But just before yeah. I bring John back into the conversation, particularly around how airlines may start to need to adjust going forward. Um, financial impact on, on Stagecoach up to this point? Um, well, there's, there's a clear financial impact. Like any business, um, we've lost an awful lot of our income. Our, our revenue, which is basically, in simple terms, the money collected from fares, um, is down 90%. Um, passage down a similar level. Um, so for, for us, it's about managing the cash flow, and making sure we can, we can um, trade through uh, this difficult time. At a PLC level, Stagecoach is part of Stagecoach Group PLC. Um, we've done a number of things, the kind of things that you'll hear many large organisations doing, and I think, in fact, people would expect of us. So um, we've suspended dividend payments, we've reduced capital investment other than safety critical matters, um, we've deferred uh, wage increases, um, and also senior leaders have, have took pay cuts, we've reduced pay. That's the absolute right thing to do. So that, that's at a, a sort of national level. Um, we're fortunate compared to some sectors, such as the airline, um, that the government has put together a support package um, for, for bus operators, for the bus network. Um, and we've worked nationally on that um, to influence and shape that with um, other bus operators across the UK and the Confederation of Passenger Transport. Um, and the government has um, now announced what's called CBSSG. So that stands for COVID-19 Bus Service Support Grant. Um, and effectively, there's a pot of money to, to be shared out amongst all of the operators in the UK to help support some of the, the loss-making uh, routes that are in operation at the present time. Okay. Thanks, Martin. John, just picking up on a point that, that Matt was making earlier, and as I say, I think we're all going to have to start to think about how we change and evolve through um, the, the lockdown and when we come out of the lockdown. And of course, an awful lot of airlines are already starting to think about what the future looks like. I've seen uh, suggestions that middle seats may be taken out of some of the, the aircraft, for example, to allow more social distancing. And then, of course, cabin crew to be wearing masks and gloves and maybe passengers being asked to required to wear masks as well. Are those conversations something that you're involved in at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think that they are. And to be honest, I think pretty much you know, every airline has its own thoughts on what works and what doesn't. And, and the same in, in an airport as well, I'm sure, is, you know, what we what we need and what the industry needs is the guidance on the standards. What, what do we do? Is it two metres? Is it face masks? Is it, you know, gloves? That we can all work towards. I think you know if you talk about you know I think EasyJet have been quite public about potentially removing middle seats, whereas Ryanair say they don't think that works from a you know safety point of view. The key is to to make everything as safe as possible, and also you know I think Andy said it gives some some confidence to to consumers that they're in a safe environment, and that goes from an airline to the airport and we've started thinking about how does that work and you know walking through our passenger journey the minute they get off a off a bus and come into the terminal what what do they normally see and what do they now need to see and I think 
you know we've had a you know a very early sort of run through that but that that clear guidance the clear standards that we all probably want to see come out of government when this lockdown talk gets a little bit further is going to be vital to us delivering something that works for for people to be safe for our staff to be safe for the passengers to be safe and for the for the airlines to to be able to you know have confidence to, to fly as many aircraft around around the world and at the minute we're kind of all a little bit in the dark of what's the right thing to do should you wear a mask should you wear gloves what happens if you can't do a process within two meters so we, we've got a lot of unknowns to be honest frank and you know those unknowns range from do you have extra seats on aircraft left open to you know how, how do you walk through security and be checked down by someone um when you go through the x-ray machine so it, we need and that'll be start of the conversation certainly from us to to government is what what are the standards what works and you know we either use public health england or or whatever to, to try and do it but you know like many others ours is an international industry so you know what works and what we get guided to do in the uk is that what they're doing in italy spain germany yeah. america it's going to be difficult and and certainly some airlines are probably at thinking they're ahead of ahead of that and, and trying to plan and that's all we're doing as well as what based on current thoughts what would we do how do you get people to transit through your facility in the, in the safe possible way and although obviously the transport sector and industry is different from hospitality the two are so interreliant upon one another and what we're hearing from both is that it's that lack of clarity that's really frustrating so there doesn't appear to be a roadmap out of this. And, you know, a lot of our colleagues in the hotel sector, for example, are saying, well, OK, even if the lockdown is lifted, how does that impact on us? Because if social distancing is, so, is, is still going to apply, then how are we supposed to continue to deliver the service that we're supposed to deliver now? Does that mean, you know, in a Hilton hotel, let's say, you know, is it less beds? Or do they have to close the bar? You know, those sorts of questions. And equally, you know, yourself, John, Andy, Mersey, you know, you've got communal areas as well, um, where the public yeah. go in and out of. And, it, and really, I think that's what we're all trying to see, really, isn't it, from, from government and from Public Health England, a little bit more consistency and clarity about what we should be thinking about. That'd be a fair assessment, John, do you think? Yeah, to totally, Frank. I think, you know, as I said, we've, you know, if I look to my right, I've got a whiteboard in, in my office at home with, you know, 50 things written on it. 50 of those might be good, 50 of them might not work. The, the guidance and the clarity is, is massively important because what we definitely don't want to be doing is, is second guessing, you know, and, and, and doing something that, either has no impact or 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 increases the risk because that's not what any of us want to do and us being you know open i think i think certainly in our industry you know i can see it differently with with matt and andy is we'll almost be able to buy some time on that because we'll not get all of the flights back straight away and we've got a big enough facility to handle it if it was you know then it won't be day one back to some sort of normality whereas you know matt and andy might see a sudden burst of people using yeah. trains and buses you have to deal with that quickly we'll probably have a few goes at it because we'll have limited passengers start to come through the terminal and we can kind of almost get that right but certainly the most important thing for all of us here is getting that guidance and getting the getting the things in place that do make a difference and keep people safe that's priority number one 
and again, another good point, Andy, just for you to pick up on, as John says, once the lockdown is is taken away, um, however limited that is, you are going to see an influx, aren't you, of, uh, of patronage and of customers. I mean, I, I'm talking to my team now. Again, we're not getting any more information than anyone else, despite the fact that we talk to, to politicians on a daily basis. But, you know, I'm saying to my team, when we do have an opportunity to return to work, don't be coming in at rush hour, stag your journeys, be safe. You know, that, that. but then if everybody's saying the same thing, you might find, Andy, that nobody's on your seven to eight o'clock trains and everyone's coming on at 10. It, yeah. it, again, is there, is there a, an engagement, a conversation perhaps to, to be had with the business community about how we might manage that as we go back? I think I'd echo what, what, what John said in terms of getting some clarity. I mean, in terms of social distancing, there, there will be an easing lockdown. It's been intimated in, in the press, the government is saying that. We don't know what that looks like. But if we just assume that it will, it will be increased passage to, to where we are now, if it's two metres social distance, just to put into, into context the challenge that, that we have with that, which is why we require clarity, is that normally we have a train from Southport in the morning, for example, to Liverpool, if it's a six car, so our longest, we can carry about 650 people. If it's if you have to um, if there's social distancing, it's we can carry a hundred people. So you can see the big. So it it really it really will impact on us. And then the, the challenge that we will have is whilst we we're doing exactly the same as Matt talked about in terms of um, cleaning the trains and providing the right facility resources for staff. The challenge that we have particularly is is how we as a rail industry will be able to regulate people onto the train because we have we have one person at every station. So the challenge then is how would we as an organisation be able to count people onto the train? And just to, to expand that further, for 100 people to get on the train between Southport and Liverpool, would, would we have quotas at each station? In which case, how do we manage the people on? Or do we allow the first 100 on? In which case, potentially based on the ease of lockdown, mean the train could be, could be full. I mean, even quick math shows that even if we had a, an, evening, an evening peak, we could carry about 2,000 people, and normally it's about 15, 20,000 people. So we need that guidance before we can actually uh, we'll start to plan a train service. We're looking at about 25% of capacity, but how do we manage the logistics of people? We can't bring them all in through one door and count them on because people queue on the platform. So for us, um, safety has to be absolutely paramount in this. So the rules of the game use that parlance needs to be established so we can ensure that we can provide uh, a service keeping our, our staff safe but also the public as well it's really important that there's this absolute clarity not just for the train operators and bus operators but also for the people of the city region it's also really important that we through mersey travel coordinate ourselves with the buses we've done really well so far in terms of our timetable and bus timetable and train plan but it's important that we have a consistent approach that is communicated um, throughout the city region to manage it. What that looks like, we're still waiting for guidance from Rail Delivery Group, which is the, the collective organisation on behalf of the rail industry, saying to government, you know, show us what the plans are and how that's intended to be, to be managed, and then we'll use our best endeavours to ensure that we can put on the best service that we possibly can within those parameters. And those complexities, of course, Matt, that Andy talks about, will, will apply to you guys as well. Absolutely. Um, the one difference, as you'll all know, between a train and a bus, as Andy alluded to, is um, we generally only have a one entrance door. So the driver is a little bit more able to regulate the number of people 
on board. At the moment, um, we've advised our staff that the buses must never exceed more than 50% of their seating capacity. And once they're a third full, really, they're getting towards full. So the driver will be able to stop further people boarding. But there's still a real challenge in operating a bus network on that basis. Um, a bus network that's got 100% of the operating costs, but only, say, a third of the revenue, could be a real challenge to be sustainable moving forwards. So we're in exactly the same um, position, really, that um, colleagues have just said. We need to really understand the guidance and what it actually um, means for our business so we can understand the network and the measures that will be in place. What we are doing, we're doing a lot of different scenario modelling at the moment. So we're, we're modelling different timetables um, based on sort of different demand capacities and, and, and listening to what's in the news at the moment. Um, Sistra, um, who are transport consultancy, they think that bus usage could potentially be 40% down. Um, Homeworking, 25% of people are likely to continue working from home. So all of these things are going to have potential impact on, on demand for buses. And indeed, on the congestion side of it, um, it, one thing we absolutely need to do in our planning and we're looking at is make sure that our customers feel safe and confident using public transport so they feel it's clean and that social distancing is applied. Um, otherwise, more people may resort to using the private car. There's a lot, lot of anecdotal information and some surveys at the moment suggest that more people will use the car. That can actually work against us because um, increased congestion will affect the punctuality of buses. One of the really interesting um, and unusual um, consequences of the current situation is our buses are about the most punctual they've ever been. There's so little traffic on the road, our buses are on time. And that just illustrates actually what we could do with uncongested roads or bus priority. Um, so there's a lot for us to think about. And some of that stuff is, you know, in the glass half full category, but there, there are some opportunities um, out of this. Um, it, you'll have seen in the media that there's um, plenty of information that air quality is vastly improved because of the reduced um, traffic levels on the roads. And what we really need to do is, is with partners such as Liverpool City Region, Mersey Travel, capitalise on that and use this as an opportunity to drive modal shift um, in, the, in the future. Uh, the challenge is going to be that in the short term, at least, it's going to be social distancing, uh, social distance dry, uh, driven modal shift. And that there will be a challenge to meet that capacity and to do that in a sustainable way. But there are, there are definitely some opportunities that we need to together build on out of the current crisis. Yeah, there are, as always, with all crises, opportunities and positives to, to come out of uh, these things. And I'm sure that we've all got one eye on what those are for each of the companies and the sectors that we operate in. But just before we, we leave this subject of the return to work, Matt, and the challenges there, and again, Andy referenced this as well. I mean, my plea to, to senior politicians is, is simply this be clear with the public in terms of what they're going back to because I hear what you guys say about you know our, our teams will be on the ground to monitor how many passengers can get on and off a bus or on and off a train that will require um, an awful lot of cooperation understanding and patience from your passengers who are used to just rocking up at the station and by and large getting on the train or the bus that's you know yeah. the first one that comes along and of course that might 
be something that we need to change our mindset to. So, as I say, I think, you know, people like Andy, Steve, uh, but at a national level, the Prime Minister need to be saying loud and clear um, where public services are returning, they're going to be returning in a very different way. In terms of, um, of that particular challenge, John, your sector's already gone through that with, the, with you know, the, the, the threat of terrorism. And, and again, you know, you, you will uh, be proud of what Liverpool airports managed to do in terms of getting passenger numbers through and customers through quickly and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, you'll equally be aware of, of the costs of that as well. Um, so let's look at, as Matt said, what opportunities, what potential, what are the things that we're thinking about in terms of let's fast forward 12 months. There's a vaccine now in place. Um, you know, Domestos have obviously sourced it, um, sponsored by Donald Trump. And we're all ready to rock and roll again and everything's going to go back to as normal as it can possibly be. Um, how is Liverpool as an airport preparing for that time? Yeah, look that far ahead yet? No, I think we are, we are looking that far ahead because I think that is probably the most likely point where there is an opportunity that is back to some sort of normality for, for, for airports. It's not going to be, you know, well, I'd, I would hope it's much, much quicker. You know, I don't know if we were alive when you said everyone's desperate for a holiday and I, and I think that's definitely the case. And yeah. you know, if it's safe and as and when and whichever countries open up, airlines can... You know they can send aircraft into those places at, at whatever levels, and, and we'll look for those type of opportunities that you know can be done in in the best way. But we are looking at you know what does you know, we'll, we get through this year. I think to your point on terrorism and, and other shocks to to aviation, the aviation industry's had many. It does recover and it, it does come back and it can come back in a different shape, but normally does does return and when we're working like that if I'm honest in a positive way we know the next nine months is going to be challenging through logistics through confidence through cash but we have to start looking at what you know 12 and time looks like that was an airport that offers the right services and, and you know there are I think potentially different you know different destinations that we might be able to access now that we may never have been able to even talk about with airlines you know our domestic connectivity is you know domestic if you listen to the most reports is going to come back first and you know people do travel on flights domestically from the northwest and from Liverpool and you know we're fortunate Belfast's you know our biggest route and I'm not saying it's going to come back exactly where it was but you know it's an, it's an important link you know, we're already discussing with airline partners about what else is there and you know what what we've got to remember three months ago was you know we unfortunately as a industry lost fly b as a as an airline those routes you know and, and some were, were backfilled in a small way some weren't and you know now it's you know you've got to look and say well you know what is the art of the possible for for, for us and for airlines that operate with us and airlines that don't and and those are the positive conversations you can start to have about well you know, as an industry, we will have bounce back. People, as soon as it's safe and people, whether it's a vaccine or whatever, to travel to Spain, then, you know, let's carry on. I would hope that was, I was hoping probably four weeks ago that would be back end of this summer. We'll see. Um, I don't think anyone really knows and no one will commit to to, to saying anything. Um, but we're looking also about how, you know, we have done very well the last five or six years building back 
the passenger numbers, getting new airlines in, working hard on our passenger experience. But I still think this gives you an opportunity to look at, well, what else could we do? What else do people want to do? How do we set ourselves up a business? Do we do more things ourselves? You know, what what are those options? And, and we're still, you know, that sort of blank piece of paper sticking some ideas down scenarios rather than the detail. But, you know, our aim is to come back as a, as a stronger company in 12 months with, you know, at worst, a similar level of flying that we had, you know, six weeks ago, which was not far off being one of our best years. Yeah, and I think that the frustration there, John, will be shared by Andy, because again, as I mentioned earlier, Andy, you know, Mersey Rail was absolutely smashing all its targets, you know, its efficiency, its, its timekeeping, um, really high ratings right across the board, and then that latest investment injection as well. Um, so, like John, you'll be looking to quickly uh, get back to where you were and, and surpassing um, those successes as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we have to look in the context, uh, as Matt said, you know, we recognise uh, and expect there to be a change in, in people's working patterns, which can have an impact on passage and consequently on revenue. We'll have to see how that manifests itself. Um, we would anticipate perhaps we won't be as, as, as hit as some of the long distance uh, train operators who have had an even bigger reduction in, uh, in revenue. But not beside, it's going to be a challenge for the business. But we've got to look forward, not only getting back to providing the the, the rail network, the city, the city region demands and the standards that they demand. We've got to look at making sure that we don't lose momentum on those bigger ticket items. So we spoke before about new free, new trains will be coming. The issue is looking at the revised timescale and flight path for them and make sure that we are ready as a business to be able to receive those trains from Mersey Travel and operate them in service. But also perhaps in terms of one of the things throughout uh, the last, last month or so has been, Matt spoke about cash handling. One of the things we need to really look and press forward on is a future ticketing, you know, people buying tickets online reduction in, uh, in people handling cash. So there's, as well as trying to say regain the confidence and get people uh, back um, on our network it's those initiatives so we've started to look at that and how we can um, accelerate those in the context of the, the delay impact the coronavirus brings but it's important that, that ourselves together with, with the, the bus operators and indeed uh, John Lennon airport is make sure that we can um, give that confidence to the people that use our transport network that we can deliver the high standards that we did pre-COVID. And you'd also hope, Matt, wouldn't you, that we can now perhaps over the next few weeks begin to actually talk at a leadership level about greater engagement and integration of those transport services because and there's always that famous episode from, from Yes Minister where they're trying to talk about an integrated transport system and uh, and they get lost at spaghetti junctions somewhere. I mean, it's... Uh, it's hilarious to watch, but there's a lot of truisms in it as well, because we do have that amb ambition and objective as a city region to start to connect better. And I think we've started to see some of that happen uh, before the crisis. And Andy's made reference to the fact that, you know, the bus operators, the train operators are talking now. Um, so, again, in terms of opportunities, not just for, for Stagecoach, but for the whole transport strategy and infrastructure, uh, there is some potential, isn't there, Matt? Absolutely, is some potential. Um, we've been working together quite closely for, for a bit, um, particularly on the bus side um, with Mersey Travel and other bus operators through the Liverpool City Region Bus Alliance. 
Um, but there's, there's potential to, to do much more than that. And we're already having some of those conversations about um, delivering a network in partnership that is integrated, um, improving the integrated ticketing office offer is key, um, and getting to a position where travel can be pretty much seamless for people. And um, there are some good examples that have come out of the current crisis. Um, two things that we've done just at the moment, we've improved the interavailability of ticketing with Aviva buses, and then we supported colleagues at Merseyrail um, by accepting tickets on, on buses, both ourselves and Aviva, through the Bus Alliance at the times when they're not operating. So there are many, many good things there that we can build on. Um, one, one challenge that we do have is that we are bound as, as different companies through uh, the Competition and Markets Authority and, um, and some of the legislation that applies. And at the moment, there's some temporary uh, relief from those uh, as has been applied to say the supermarkets for example because working together is absolutely so important uh, and what we need to do is use as an opportunity to um, with the CMA to get some of those um, restrictions uh, revised so that we, we can really deliver an integrated uh, transport offering for the region moving forwards um, the one thing I, I think all our transport colleagues um, would agree particularly at Merseyrail is um, uh, the biggest competitor in the transport world isn't the other operator, it is the private car. And you know, working together to deliver modal shifts, what we need, and I touched upon earlier, air quality. Um, there's a real opportunity to improve air quality here if we can encourage uh, a mix of um, home working means of reduced commute and, and greater public uh, transport use in the, long, in the long term. So what we've got to do is embrace those opportunities that are coming out of the crisis. Yeah, I can't imagine there isn't going to be a very serious conversation in the not too distant future about the climate emergency and what we've learned from uh, the lockdown. And, uh, and no doubt you guys will be right in the middle of those conversations. I, I, I think, the, sorry, Matt, you want to come in there? Um, I was just going to say, I saw some figures. It's from the Leeds City region, but it's probably very, um, very um, useful information to share. But, um, their air quality... Um, they've been measuring their air quality and it was down to levels from, um, I think it was 1994. Uh, there's been such a huge reduction. So whilst I haven't yet seen any information for our region, um, we could assume it would be something similar. Yeah, you can't imagine it being much different. And of course, if you look at those satellite pictures that we're seeing yeah. at the moment, I mean, it, it does look as though somebody's taken a scrubbing brush to the world, doesn't it? And, and really started to clean it up. So definite lessons to be learned. I think the other thing that people are going to be looking for, John, is, is some quick wins. And, you know, what's uh, been quite, uh, well, what I felt, felt some uh, optimism around is the fact that the government up to this point have not been talking about ceasing or stopping infrastructure spend. Quite the opposite, actually. They're looking at projects that are going to make a difference to help drive the economy uh, and grow the economy as quickly as we possibly can when we come back. One of the things that downtown has been long campaigning for has been better connectivity to the airport from the, the city uh, and again you know I'd be saying to, to Steve Rotherham and Joe Anderson look this is a prime opportunity here to go to government and say this is an economic opportunity there's clear evidence that if we can start to improve that connectivity get a new rail station closer to the airport then why not and if we can go with those sort of uh, evidence-based cases to the Treasury, then now will be an optimum time, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think 
Yeah, you've got as much as we're looking in from a business point of view, things that you could do differently. This these big pieces of infrastructure or bills or, or processes should should continue. I, I I joined a call with Steve just before this one, and I, I, I liked his phrase of, and I think it's him and Andy Burnham promoting this is build back better, and I, and I, that kind of resonates, doesn't it, when we're talking about either climate or we're talking about modal share or all of that stuff. We, you know, I've been in the city region for two and a bit years, and it's been a discussion we've had many times, Frank, and alongside you know Steve and Joe, getting that link and, and trying to drive that home. We were getting some traction, I think, weren't we? And, and I think certainly, you know, if one of the outputs of this, you know, very odd and uncertain times is we can push forward this because the business case definitely stacked up, and it now definitely would stack up even more. Yeah. How do we get that going and make sure that? that support for for our industry but more importantly for the city region be, becomes a big ticket item that we could all hang our hats on so well you know that that was an output of, of this and yeah we, we'll continue to to ask and keep pushing it and you know i think everybody who supports that of, of which there's many you know that's that's an important thing for us to look at what what else can we do differently what would we have wanted to always do think outside the box and this one wasn't even outside the box so yeah, it's 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 a key it's a key one to try and push home. And in terms of Mersey Rail, Andy, as I say, a lot of investments already into infrastructure. Um, the city, um, you know, if you look at the Knowledge Quarter, if you look at the Baltic Triangle, you know, there's places. Forget the city region where I know there's always people screaming for for new railway stations to be put in place, but just in the city itself. That there are the, 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 those asks are already there, aren't they? Yeah, I think the the challenge that we have as as a as a country really is the fact is that we can't get away from the fact that there will be a, an impact the economy on the economy, and I suppose the challenge we have is to ensure that where we do have these nuggets of ideas and investment that can help to grow, as we we spoke about the link to John Lennon Airport, where the station the Baltic Quarter, which was which is is imminent. And likewise, extension networks of Scalmsdale. It's important that we don't lose the momentum and we lobby as a city region to ensure that we can have the investment in what will be difficult, whether it's austerity, again, notwithstanding that, that we actually push and we have to, through our the key business groups that we push to get government money and say, look, this is what we can do. And actually we're being a net gain to the to the city. It's important that we actually grab the ball by the horns and continue to knock on the door with these really good initiatives that are no-brainers that would be the right thing to do for the city region and to ensure that we can grow following this. Yeah. Matt, in terms of uh, stagecoach again, you've said at the moment there's a little bit of a, a pause on infrastructure spend, but when we come out of this, I'm guessing that you'll have your own ambitions. Um, yes, um, we normally take delivery of um, new buses every year. It's a major part of our capital investment. And at the moment, um, like most companies, we, we pause, pause that kind of investment. Um, I think definitely moving forward, the environment's a little bit uncertain. We've already um, said we don't know how long social distancing will apply. And ultimately our investment will be um, uh, driven by potential demand, of course. And there's the opportunity we've talked about, the air quality, uh, brings to actually increase in food demand in time. I think short term, there's one or two um, challenges ahead. We were, we were operating in a challenging environment anyway uh, as a bus uh, 
as a bus operator because we've had rising uh, congestion on the road um, in, in recent years, increased car ownership, and we're witnessing the decline of the high street and um, greater home working. And, and the latter two are both areas now that we're definitely going to see an acceleration in, more home working. We're familiar with um, uh, one or two high street retailers, Debenhams, Calf Kids, and Oasis and Warehouse, I think, uh, currently having financial difficulties. So um, people, people who are going to do more internet shopping, in fact, um, talking outside at a distance to my neighbour, he's never done online um, groceries before, and he said he's been forced into it. And that, that's just the kind of example of behaviour change um, well, me doing this call now, I haven't done any video calls at all, ever. <laughs> I've been managing director and, until this crisis. I can see everybody else smiling as well. So I'm not the only one. So those changes are really going to have an effect on the demand for travel. So I think there's definitely an opportunity and we will invest. But um, there's, a, there's a, a little bit of uncertainty about probably the next 12 months. Yeah. I, I think you're right, Matt, in terms of it's, it's going to change our habits to an extent. Although... Um, if I never do another Zoom call again after we've finished with uh, where we are at the moment, it won't be too soon. Uh, and it is interesting, actually, isn't it, in terms of um, when we start to envision what it might look like post-crisis. Uh, and there's, there's, you know, this assumption that people are going to want to continue to work from home. And I'm sure some people will. But equally, I have to tell you, you know, we've been doing lots of these things now. I think this is probably our 40th or maybe even 50th um, such call. And we've been going back to our members and, and people are enjoying these sort of events at the moment. But if you said to someone, do you want to do a webinar and a Zoom call or do you want to do a live event? Uh, I'll tell you now, you know, 98% are saying, no, we, we can't wait to get back to the live event. So, I think we may be, some people may be overestimating what the change in habits actually going to be. Uh, and just uh, coming to you, John, because as I say, I know at the moment airports are under the cosh. But the other thing, and music to your ears, is that, uh, again, everyone I'm talking to is saying as soon as I can get on a plane, get away, uh, the better. And that day can't come soon enough. Listen, guys, I, I want to wrap the conversation up with some final comments from you. Uh, and John, not just where we are at this moment in time, but you know, in, in the short to medium term, what, what you'd be hoping we can begin to achieve? Yeah, look, I think I, I, I kind of let me answer that with with a comment about what what we've just talked about there about change and habits, and you know, Liverpool Airport has has done very well over the last sort of five six years to get the five million passengers, but we still face that you know habit of, of not using Liverpool Airport and I, and I think one of the things that I take out of this and this is a short medium long-term piece is you know, the, the change in people in terms of you know how we are as a community what what people are doing with each other and, and working differently I think that could play in our favour at the airport in terms of making us stronger and people using us more why not use your local airport you know if we can support business and support people then we need to create, and we have, but how do we make an airport even stronger? How do we make people prouder of the airport and offer the things they want? But in this new world, you know, why not use your local airport? And that'll probably be sort of a, a slight repositioning of, of us, if you like, of, you know, where, where, where possible you, you use us because it's the, 
it's a good airport to use. So short term, medium term, look, I'm I'm with you, Frank. As, as soon as people can feel safe to fly and, and want to fly and the services are there, you know, we'll make sure that the airport you come through is as good as it was before, but in a in a way where you're confident and comfortable that it's safe not just from a security point of view, but from a health point of view as well. And, and hopefully we can benefit from that. You know, we operate in a huge city region. You know, having a link with a train would be fantastic long-term, but you know, why not use Liverpool if you haven't before, you haven't often used us. Yeah. Andy, same point really, short, medium term goals for you guys? I think in the short term, so medium, it's about how we can, um, ensure that we can give confidence to to our customers that when they do come back we'll be operating the right capacity and the environment in which they're operating is is safe that's absolutely important because if we it doesn't matter what train service we put on or how clean we say we're making the train unless we can give people that confidence that um, we can deliver what they want and they can travel safely then we're at a loss. So we need to move forward there. We need to get back to running the service that we operated. The one thing I would say, and it, uh, it was alluded to there by John, on a personal perspective, I think what, the, what has come out of this issue is the fact of how communities are coming together in terms of whether it's this wartime spirit, but nevertheless, people have been a lot more understanding, helpful, supportive, looking after their neighbours, speaking to neighbours they've probably never spoken to before, and are being quite idealistic um, really, but whether it's transport or whatever part of the, the UK, you just hope that people are a bit more considerate, have a bit more compassion, and then we just move forward collectively as, as, a, as a, and so the UK is a much better place in which everyone can live and thrive. Mm. So I've moved off transport a bit, Frank, but it is about the fact of how we come out of this collectively. It's really, really important that we take this as a, as a, a, learning, a learning session. Yeah, great points, Andy. And Matt, final word to you again, short, medium term goals for Stagecoach. Okay, and just, just before I answer that, just building on um, what Andy said about community, there's some fantastic examples that our, our, our team, our employees have been experiencing. We've had um, rainbows sent in to put on, on vehicles drawn by children. We've um, got staff doing home baking and bringing it into share. And then amazingly, we've had some, some of our key workers, such as the NHS, actually buying gifts for bus drivers. We've had the Easter eggs, chocolate, all sorts. And so Andy's absolutely right. That, that team community spirit is something we really got to take forward um, out of this. In terms of short term, I think Andy's answered it for, um, for me, said it very well. It's about confidence um, and assurance of being able to travel safely for customers. In the medium term, um, for ourselves, it really is about working in partnership with the city region and other transport operators to really try and drive a reduced um, dependency on car usage. So if ultimately we can get more model shift, reduce car journeys, and, and maybe do that on a public transport network that has, has greater space, um, then you know, that could be a winning formula. There's good potential for the region. Lads, it's been great to have your company this afternoon. Hope you've found the discussion as interesting as I have, certainly in terms of you know, the challenges you all face, but the importance that each of your companies brings to the city region. It's vital that we uh, maintain an engagement with the business community and the business community get behind you guys as much as possible. So uh, we'll be in touch again, no doubt, through the crisis, but also more, more importantly, once we come out of it, and uh, keep these conversations going. Thanks for your positivity as well. 
And uh, no slight on either Andy or Matt, but John, I just cannot wait to visit John Lennon Airport. <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> not to yourself either. I just want to be on a bloody plane somewhere. I'm yeah, absolutely desperate for a holiday. So <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for your company this afternoon. And uh, I'm sure everybody listening will have, uh, will have appreciated your thoughts, your opinions, your words as well. Thanks, guys. Everyone. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.